Good morning. Welcome to Calvary Chapel Manteca. Um, hope you guys had a good week. We uh, went this uh, Halloween. We had our Fun Fest, a uh, little outreach here. Um, the crowds were a little smaller uh, midweek. It's, I guess, kind of harder to probably get the kids out and get them sugared up before you send them back to the teachers the next day. But um, it was a good time. It's, um, I'm always blessed just getting together with the church family and and serving and setting up. It was just enjoyable just hanging out with you guys and um, we were able to share the gospel. We uh, did, did it um, three times, three or four times. Um, I think there's about, uh, I think figured about 45, 50 people got to hear the gospel. And um, as we shared, it's kind of sometimes you, you share the gospel and, and you don't see any uh, immediate fruit, you know, nobody praying and stuff like that. Um, I did get a message though, uh, a call came through the, the church recorder, and um, a young lady, um, she, she, had, she had called, and I, I called her back. She just had left, you know, just a message, hey, can you give me a call? Um, I think she said she was 13, didn't really want to share her name, because her, her parents um, don't want to have anything to do with church. And they don't like church, and they're against church, but they were here, and they sat through that. And she goes, and I wanted to raise my hand. I wanted to pray to accept Christ, and I prayed with you, but there's no way I could ever tell my parents. And so um, she wanted to, you know, stay nameless. And um, But you just, you look at that, you know, and you go, how awesome is that, right? Um, parents that would hate church never go to a church. We're in church, <laughs> you know. So the first one we did, we started to share, and a lady out of the corner of my drug her two kids. The second I said Jesus, me. Boom! She was out that door dragging her kids as quick as she could. She actually hung around for the show a little longer, too. But the second I started talking about Jesus, he was gone. You're like, ah, oh, okay. So, yeah, so some people probably felt duped in hearing the gospel on Halloween. But that's what we're about. Come to a church, hopefully that's what you expect. But um, it was a good time, and a good time just sharing the gospel and loving on people and talking to people. And uh, just an enjoyable time hanging out with you guys. So we're going to continue through the Gospel of Luke. Dr. Luke will be here, uh, back in chapter 7, starting in verse 36. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. Pedro has some, because we do go verse by verse through it. And it really helps to follow along. And so we'll be going through. And it, it's, um, the portion of Scripture we're going to be going through is, is kind of interesting. Um, I don't know, I find a lot of the, I guess, Bible interesting. I probably say that every Sunday. But I really, uh, sometimes... Man, it just uh, it weighs on your heart in a sense of uh, just the joy and um, just how awesome the Bible is and who our Lord is. So let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are and how amazing you are. And that you are so worthy of our worship. That you are worthy of our praise. That you are a God we can just fall in love with, Father. And that we can trust with our hearts and our lives. We thank you for who you are, in Jesus' name. Now, it's kind of interesting, as I, I've looked at Scripture and kind of even looking through this portion of Scripture, it reminded me of kind of two attitudes that, that show up, or, or, or two, I guess, uh, sins, in a sense, or, or, or more, I guess, more than a sin, yeah, it would be an attitude or a perspective or, or, or a lifestyle that, that creeps into our lives that can derail us, or, or take us off from our relationship with Christ as we walk. And, and it kind of reminds I, I always look at it back at um, 
these two things. Either, either you start to chase the things of this world can distract you, or you can start uh, to become self-righteous and reliant and, and, and about the law and works and the do's and the don'ts, then focusing on a relationship with Christ where you're, you're just doing or you're, or you're totally ignoring him. And it seems like we can sometimes maybe go back and forth kind of between that. And you kind of see that in the parable of, of the uh, prodigal son. You've all kind of hopefully read, and if you haven't, not a problem, read the story of the prodigal son. It's a, where a son comes to his father and he says, hey, I want my inheritance. I want the half of all my inheritance now. Which basically was saying, Dad, I don't want to have a relationship with you. I just want my portion of what I'm going to get when you die. It's like your child come up to me, and I want 50% of everything you got because I'm leaving. I don't want to have anything to do with you. I'm going to consider you like you dad, died, Dad, and I'm out of here. I'm going to go party. I'm going to go live it up. And that child goes off into the world, and his brother stays home and runs the, the households and there with the father and everything. And, you know, the son goes out, lives it all up, wastes all the money, realizes the situation he's in. He's eating with the pigs and goes, man, I'd rather be a slave. I'd rather be a servant at my dad's house. And so he returns, and the dad's looking for him afar off, totally restores him, blesses him, throws this party for the son, and that relationship's restored, and it's this awesome picture but then the son who stayed behind, who took care of it, said, hey, I've done all these things right. I've done everything you've asked. I've done it. He's already taken his half. I mean, I've had this. And you throw this big party for him, and you won't even throw a party for me. And, man, and the dad's like, well, you've had me this whole time. And so in both situations, one took off and said, hey, dad, I wish you were dead. I don't want to have any kind of relationship with you. I'm going to go party. The other older son was there, was doing it based on performance, and missed the relationship with his father. He missed that, hey, I had the goodness of my father all the time. He was earning, if you would, and performing and doing everything right. And in the end of the story, in the end of the parable, you have one son restored into a relationship, and you have this other one just mad because it wasn't about the relationship. It was about what he was going to gain or get from it. And we kind of have that repeated, in a sense, or, or that kind of scenario going on. And I think very much as you walk, you kinda, you, you'll realize you start to either slip into one role where, where you're, you're, you're doing things for the Lord and you suddenly start to walk away from that relationship, but you're going, but don't I deserve this, God, because I'm doing all this good stuff. Or you get distracted by things of this life, or, you know, whatever the thing that might pop up that grabs your attention, you know. We all, we all have our struggles. I mean, Craigslist and cars for me or whatever, you know, <laughs> that take up too much of your time, video games. There's all kinds of things that you, it's not necessarily sinful in itself, but it just can derail you, take your focus off. And it's interesting because we kind of see very much two different people in this, this situation this morning as we go through in verse 36. Look with me. It says, Then one of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to speak with him or to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down and ate. Now, that statement alone is like, okay, Jesus is going to a Pharisee. But what's been going on with the Pharisees? He's called them out several times. I mean, they're not liking him. They're not at the point where they're actively trying to kill him at the moment. But here you have this one Pharisee inviting him to his house, which is kind of like, okay, they're being cool. But the other thing is Jesus went. He's eating with tax collectors and sinners, and that's the Lord we love and know. But here you have this guy who's a religious, you know, self-righteous, da-da-da-da-da. He shouldn't go to his house. We're all good with the tax collector, right? But when it comes to the Pharisee, but Jesus is willing and still loves this person too. 
He loves this religious zealot, you know, in that sense. And he's going to his home and he's going to eat with him. He's going to sit down and be at his house. You know, and, and it meant a more than what we think. When we, when we get together and eat, it's, you know, potlucks and stuff. They're nice. They're fellowship. There is some getting together and sharing and, and there. But they way beyond this connection-wise. You know, I don't know if you've ever traveled to a foreign country, and I'm sure if you ever thought of going to Africa or something on a mission trip, you've heard, you, you know, they got very little food. If they offer you something, you need to eat it. You're thinking, what am I going to get stuck eating? You know, this is going to be like one of those TV shows, you know, can you swallow whatever without, the, you know, that's kind of the thought. I don't know, maybe you're not you guys, but when I've thought about the mission fields, like, yeah, I don't know if I can stomach some of that stuff to be polite, you know. But very much in this culture, they believe whatever you ate, you became one with what you ate. That, that energy, that life became part of you. And so if you ate the same food with these other people, you became part of it. Very much in the time, they didn't have the same uh, sanitary conditions as we did. I mean, okay, so you had a, a, a bowl of, uh, you know, a sauce or something. They all, everybody had dipped the bread in. I don't know if they didn't have a double dipping rule or not. You know, but you could be, you know, you're really sharing, you know. Somebody got sick of the party, you all got sick of the party, you know. It's like, you know, when the bug, stomach bug's going around, you're like, yeah, hopefully nobody brings that to the potluck, you know. Or, you know, we love each other, but, you know, it's kind of one of those things. There was very much this bond to, so to agree to eat with this person was really identifying with this group. And that's why they had such a problem that Jesus would eat with tax collectors and sinners. And now he's willing to identify also with these people who are, who are just as lost, maybe don't know it, are not aware of it, he's going to sit down and eat with them, which I just find is just so awesome of our saviors. What an awesome heart. Because, you know, I don't know about you, I was raised in the church, so I don't have like this, um, you know, rap sheet criminal record, you know, I, but I do have this rap sheet of being like, you know, the little goody two-shoes, you know, teacher's pet in Sunday school, thanks to my mother. No, you know, and, and uh, you know, I mean, I even went after pastors at stuff on theology. We went and visited, we went to a youth junior high at another church that was a Calvary Bible. I believed you had to be baptized to go to heaven. Man, I was mean to that pastor when he filled in. But, you know, because I was righteous, you know, and self-righteous and totally unloving and unbiblical, but didn't see it. But, you know, so I, I, I love that God loves these type of people because I've been that type of person. Not to say I haven't been the other type of person at times either, but... It's really interesting to see. And here in this midst of this, you have these people sitting there, they're eating, or actually reclining, kind of laying down eating. And verse 37 says, Behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. Okay, so now you have this woman in the city who was a sinner. And we don't know, we don't know a lot about who she was. Some people suppose it's Mary Magdalene. It's not... It's a different account. She shows up next, but there's no evidence to say this is Mary Magdalene in this. We really don't know that. Some people go, well, in John 12, 3, there's Mary of Bethel who also anointed Jesus, but those are two separate circumstances, two separate things. There's different aspects going on in those stories, and it's not hard to think as, you, as we look at that this, this would have happened more than once. You know what I mean? This, this is a very awesome personal uh, way of worshiping God in that sense and a beautiful thing, but very much, you know, our experiences with the Lord, we have these awesome mountaintop experiences with the Lord, and how many times has that happened in our lives? Okay, so this, this isn't something that could have just happened even two times. It could have happened hundreds of times, you know, and, and so we don't have any proof of who this woman exactly was, but what she was known for was being a sinner. She was notorious. We don't know what type of sin. Some people say, well, maybe she was a harlot, a woman of the night, or this. We don't know. 
but she was known for it. Whatever scandal, whatever, she was, that's, that's how people recognize this woman. And so we have this woman who's a sinner, and when, when she knew that Jesus sat, in the, at, Jesus sat at the table in this Pharisee's house, right, she, she hears that she's there. She brings in an alabaster flask and a fragrant oil and comes into him. Now, it's interesting. So the table, I don't know if you guys have seen the, you know, the, the um, Last Supper drawing, you know, and they're all sitting at a table. Well, they didn't have tables like that. The tables were like down on the ground, and you would recline, and you would recline on an arm, and you would, you know, you'd, you would all lay there next to each other with your feet kind of laying out behind you. And you would eat and you would talk and you'd kind of lay on a pillow at the side of the table. So way different than we were used to. And I just think, how could you digest anything? You have to stand up and, you know, but maybe that's why belching during, during eating was okay. I mean, <laughs> got to get it down. But really interesting thing. So they're, they're laying there like this. She knows you're there. And so it wouldn't be uncommon that other people could come into the house while you're having a feast. You couldn't be part of the feast if you weren't invited. You couldn't eat, but you could come and listen to the conversations what going on. So, so it's, it's not like, you know, there's this table and there's just this one woman there. there. There's a crowd of people that could be around, especially with Jesus, people talking about what's going on and, and things. And, and, and so you kind of get this scene where they're all laying there and they're talking and different conversations probably going on at the table, you know, and, and very much Jesus was probably somewhat the center of attention, but not totally. I'm sure people were noticing, but I wonder how many little side conversations were going, oh, you notice he doesn't like that kind of juice, or whatever other things were going on. But we do have an account of some of that. And so as he's laying there, she comes in to the Pharisee's house, which had to be brave to begin with. You have the religious leaders who are holy, righteous, and have this standard, and you're known for being notorious for sin. Right? But she comes into that situation, willing to come in and wants to find Jesus there because she knew, she knew he was there. It, it kind of actually almost seems in the Greek like she knew of him before then, like, like he had told her almost she was there. So he was, I don't know if they had an interaction before this. you know. And so he's laying down there and she brings an alabaster flask of fragrant oil in. And now... I'm thinking, okay, a flask of oil, this is, this is interesting. When I think of a flask, I think of a metal you know, thing and it doesn't have oil in it. But it's, it's more like a jar, and I was kind of you know, interested in looking into it. And okay, alabaster's like, um, I think the closest thing I know, and I think it's a type alabaster, is called soapstone. It's a stone um, in the high desert where I grew up. There's little, you know, desert. There's little, not much to do, but there's some little mining holes and stuff. And this one hill has a green soapstone. And it, it feels like waxy when you touch it. It's still somewhat hard, but it's easy to carve. You can carve it with a knife. You can carve it with a file. I made little crosses and kind of clear coat. It looks marbly. And so the jar would have been created of that. It's a, it's a soft stone that can be carved. And it would be usually pretty narrow and skinny. And, and they would hang it on their neck, actually. And it would be sealed. And it would be expensive. So, so it, you know, it's kind of like when you um, get an eye watch or something. The packaging's all, you know... You notice the packaging, like on Apple products, is like overkill, you know, because it's, you know, because what's inside is so important, the packaging. And so very much, some of these would be carved very ornately. I mean, you look at some of the old ones there, they look like statues and decorative. And again, the women would hang them around their necks, and usually it was for their wedding day. 
it would be for their, their husband on the, this, 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 the bride on this day, and, or for the groom on this day. And so it was very expensive. It would be given, and it, and it wouldn't be used. And when you used it, it wasn't like there was a cap on it. It was either somewhat of a silver solder type seal, which would be real expensive, or even a wax seal on the top of it. But once it was opened and the soil was out, it was like kind of a one day use type thing, then it was gone. And, and it's kind of funny, I mean, we still kind of have stuff like that. You see the little perfume bottles and people have collected them. My, my grandma had a bathroom with, I don't know, hundreds of different, you know, perfume style bottles and things in. And so it was kind of like that, but they'd even wear it on their neck. It's interesting too, because as we were studied before, when you look in Jewish culture about women on the Sabbath and working on the Sabbath and the laws they had on the Sabbath, you could only wear even certain size jewelry because it was considering lifting. You couldn't have something of too much value because your friend could lust over it on the Sabbath, all these rules, right? But they would allow you to continue to wear this flask. That's how much it was considered to be part of who that woman was, how their identity was very much wrapped up in it. So it's not, you know, way different than our culture. I don't think I've seen anybody wearing, you know, cologne and a bottle around their neck that they haven't used. I mean, you think of things that are passed on from wedding rings to wedding dresses. And those things and how much they mean, men to your women and your brides, or, you know, of, of, of circumstance and that. I, you know, I was trying to think, I don't think there's a lot of things men hold on to so sentimental like that. I mean, there might be a tool or something your father had or, you know, depending, but there's nothing like that. And so that's how, not even just the expense of it, but the extreme importance of it to her and value of it to her. And so she has this around her neck and she brings it in. And so, and in verse 38, it says, and she stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair, or wipe them with her, the hair of her head, and kiss his feet and anointed them with this fragrant oil. And, and at first, when I was first reading through this, it goes, okay, that's, that's a little too touchy-feely for me, Tim. I mean, this is kind of, this is odd. I mean, right? Wouldn't you, I mean, I'm, if I'm thinking, I'm sitting there laying, and I'm not, I definitely am not Jesus, but that would be odd. If some woman's washing your, crying on your feet and washing your, I mean, that, my first thought, you know, is, is just going there. It just totally doesn't, it just would be awkward to me, right? And I don't think anybody in here wouldn't feel awkward if that was happening. But in this setting, as you look at it and you look at how much this meant, even though I don't quite can't grasp the, the, the culture and, and how, how Jesus' response would be to that, even... To, to the men around, it wasn't normal, right? It wasn't common. And, and so it's interesting, this gesture, and this gesture, as we will read on later, should have been a common thing when you came and you ate in a house. You, you came in and she's, she's crying and she sees he's got her feet wet, so she begins to wash them with her hair, dry them off. There's no towel. I'm there. And so there's a crowd of people around talking and they're eating and she's sobbing and it's sobbing so much it's on his feet and she goes, oh no, it got his feet wet and she begins to wash it with her hair and then she goes ahead and, and, and uses this oil to anoint his feet. She didn't do this for recognition. She wasn't trying to draw a crowd. When you look at these verses here, it repeats she, 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 
her, her. This was very personal between her and the Lord there in that situation. And, and to take this oil, which would have been for a bride, and, and to pour it out. And, and a, a position of a lowly position. When we think of foot washing, you would come in off the streets. The streets weren't like our streets. All kinds of things were in the street. That servant's job to wash the feet was the lowliest job in the whole house. That was the lowliest position and job was to wash the feet. And, and here she's there, and she's using her hair. I don't know about your wife. My, my wife doesn't use her hair to clean up. You know, I, I, um, I'm going to brag on myself a little. I, I, you know, it's interesting to see. I mean, I, when I pick up a little kid or something, and I, I love chill, little children, and I see, and it you know, kind of, I think, bugs Heidi a little. I, I'll see they have a running nose or something. I just grab the edge of my shirt, and I'll clean it off. And, you know, and I'm like, ew. And it's like, when you've had kids, this kid's bugger, no big deal. It's a little kid, you know? And then other people are like, ah, what did you just do to your shirt? I mean, I don't keep clean shirts anyways. I'm a roofer, you know? We were, we were joking around yesterday. I think we saw somebody in a pair of white jeans and just go, man, I could never do that. When that came out when I was a kid, these white pants things, we lived in the desert. You couldn't even have white shoes in the desert. We didn't have sidewalks. I mean, it was like, you know, people that keep their shoes all night. Where we grew up, that was like a foreign concept. I think if I got a pair of white jeans, they lasted a half an hour until they weren't white. There was something else, but they weren't white, you know? And still, so I, you know, washed white, but you know, your hair, your hair on those feet, the, the lowliest position, those rags wouldn't be reused, and she, here she uses her hair to wash those feet, and it, it's interesting to see, you go, wow, what a lowly position, what a sign of love. How much Jesus meant to her, how important that was. It was more important than who she was. It was more important than what anybody thought in there, how they would have shamed her, what anybody thought in that whole room. You know, sometimes you, you especially at times, you, you get in a situation where you're, you're there in your church and you want to worship, but you're like, oh, if I raise my hands too high, nobody's going to see you. What is people? And you can get all in your head about what's going on with every people. She didn't care. She was only about Jesus. She was only about loving him. And focusing on him. And what's amazing is, do you realize Jesus is the same with us? The Last Supper, what did Jesus do? He washed their feet. You know, and and, in John 13, 5, it says, After that, he poured out water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with a towel with which he he had girded himself then he came to Simon Peter, and Simon Peter said, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing, you will, or what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know this after. And Peter said to him, Never, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered and said, If I do not wash your feet, I have no part with you have no part with me. But then Simon, of course, goes on bigger and says, then wash my whole body. And Jesus goes, no, just your feet need to be washed. Jesus wants to wash our feet and serve us in that way and love us in that way. It's about a relationship. And, and so much of this woman full of sin in this situation is like that prodigal child. She's been in the things of the world and everything else, and that's coming back to Jesus and just going, I just need Jesus. I don't need to be distracted by anything else. It doesn't matter what reputation I have, what I've done, what I'm notorious for. It, it doesn't matter what anybody else in the whole room thinks. 
I see this need and I'm going to wash your feet. And then Jesus allows it. And then the amazing thing is Jesus ends up turning around washing our feet and saying, hey, you're going to, you're going to have to, I'm, I want to have that intimacy with you. I don't want your performance. I don't want all this thing. I want to be able, I'm going to show you. I'm going to serve you in such a way I came to become lowly. He didn't come in here and was born in a palace and mansion and all that. No, he came as a lowly servant. Very much being that example. Very much putting himself on the same plane as this woman of being a servant. Then even from that, you go, okay, so he put himself on the same plane, took the same position she was enrolled, she was taking there, and then took her sin and paid for it. Took her reputation takes our reputation, and he washes our feet. And what an amazing thing. You know, and um, I just, you know, some scripture you go through and you just go, how, how can I comprehend that? I, I can't, you know, there's been times where I've, I've just cried out and I'm so overwhelmed by how amazing God is and how much he still loves me. And it's usually at my time where I feel the most shame and he still loves me. You blow it, you fell, you fell publicly. And you just go, God, how can you? And you open his word and he starts to wash your feet. And you just start to cry. Realizing, I, I just, one thing I am totally convinced I will never, ever be able to understand the love of God. I can't comprehend it. I think that's half of eternity is going to be just blown away on how much he loves us. The, the, you know, you want to talk about the mysteries of God. Oh, why this or why this or how can God this and this? How can God love you? How can God love me so deeply, so amazingly? You know, I, I was, um, sometimes when, you, when you're in a situation and you're serving people, God gives you a heart that's his heart for something. And um, there's a, there was a situation where uh, uh, my sister-in-law was and, and she's fighting illness all the time has a, a pick line in her chest, doesn't look healthy, you know, physically rough. And I was talking with her, and I was in the school of ministry, and, and she was kind of just asking, well, you know, how can God allow these things? How, why isn't my health better and stuff? And I was just praying with her. And I said, I don't know, but I, I know God loves you. And I'm thinking, and with Heidi's health and stuff, it's like, man, God, I want to know. I need to somehow know. When somebody goes, how can this horrible thing happen? How can my child die? How can this happen? If I'm going to serve, how do I answer that? How do I know that? And he, he reminds me, he goes, well, I love you, and you've gone through it, yeah. But what do you answer to that? And at that moment, he just gave me a glimpse of how much he loved her. And it totally leveled me. I, w I was at a loss for words. I'm driving back over because I dropped her off at her apartment. I'm driving back over to where the family was, and I was just singing. And then uh, the only time I've uh, spoken, sung in tongues or whatever was then, didn't realize I was doing it until after. Totally leveled me about how much God loved her. Not even me, just her. And I'm sitting there looking at her going, man, that's, she is the most blessed person I know. If you guys looked at her physical circumstances, especially at the time, you would go, no, she doesn't look blessed. You know, some people would say she's cursed or has a demon or something by everything going on health-wise, you know. And it was just a slight glimpse of how much God loved her, and it leveled me. And I, I'm convinced if we saw God in his full glory, that's what would kill us. We'd just be overwhelmed on how much he loved us, where our little hearts would just give out, poof, and drop. You know? And so it's just amazing to see. But then we have another person in the story that God loves just as much. And it says, Now then the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, and he spoke to himself, saying, 
This man, if he were a prophet, would know uh, whom and what manner of woman this is that is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now, he, he already makes some judgments right off. You know, it, 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 earlier it says, you know, it was a, a woman who was known, was past tense known for sin, right? He says, oh, she is a sinner. Yeah, she's a sinner, but it's interesting the way the Bible put it. She was, you know, past tense, heaven's view. But he sits there, and then he makes an assumption of who Jesus must be. He's, he, he doesn't say, well, he can't be a prophet because, well, no, he was right that Jesus knew what kind of woman she was, right? But, but he makes this judgment call on what Jesus must be thinking, or, or well, he couldn't, you know, because if he was really a good guy, and then he knew he wouldn't allow this, Boy, was he mistaken. No, Jesus knew and allowed it. And what also Jesus knows is your thoughts. Because this guy's thinking this. He isn't telling Jesus any of it. You know, and... Um, man, what he didn't know. I, you know, it, it's really sad what this guy didn't get. What he didn't understand was Jesus' heart here. And what he didn't understand was his need for the same Savior. And it's, it's interesting. Let's, let's look at verse 40. It's kind of um, some advice to take here from this man is here. It says, And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Now, I love it so many times you see the disciples are with Jesus. They're arguing about something or they're thinking something and God answers them, corrects them, right? Have you guys ever had that happen? You know, I've been struggling with something, and somebody comes up and says something, and you're like, oh, Lord, was that you? No, it wasn't you. They were just, just random. It was, you know, coincidence. There's no way they're talking about what you just told me I need to do it. You know what I mean? And um, there's, there's certain people that have, I think, that gift, you know, gift of kind of insight. Um, I have a, a, a friend of mine who is a pastor at Big Bear Calvary, now out in Chico over a fellowship there. And I love Roger to death. I love Roger Skis to death. He's awesome. I um, hung out with his daughter on a court or whatever. Um, and so I, I, I probably grew him a lot in many ways. But we tandem mountain biked with his daughter together, and we crashed sometimes. So a very loving man once told me, please don't get any blood in my seat when he picked me up. But um, I, to this day, I call him, and I'm like, hey, how's it going? This is going on, this is going on. Hey, Tim, I just want to share this with you. Right between the eyes. It's like, I haven't talked to you in a year and a half. How do you know it's good? Why are you, you know, I, and it's like, I love him, but I'm scared to call him. Like, hey, do you need rebuke for something? I got a phone number for you. <laughs> like, here, you know, I think I'm doing good. Maybe I need to grow my relationship. I'll call Roger up. He'll say hi. I mean, it's a kick how it goes, but God's that way. And here, Jesus is reading this guy's mind. He's thinking, you know, he's sitting here, he's thinking something. And, and Jesus says, hey, Simon, I have, I have something to tell you dangerous thought, right? Be careful what you ask for. And so he, he, he said, teacher, say it. Oops. <laughs> Maybe you're like, hey, can we have a private conversation after, right? If you're in front of a group of people and God says, I have something to tell you, you might want to not say, yeah, just tell me it. You might go, hey, can we go over like to the closet or something? Can you just send me a text, not on, you know, not have my phone on speaker while you tell me this, Lord? I mean, you kind of ask for it, you know? And, and the amazing thing is, though, is here Jesus loves him enough because he wants to tell him something. He knows what he's thinking. 
Could have Jesus just let it go? Let the guy think whatever he wants? No, that would have been unloving. Jesus sees this guy's heart, Caesar's an issue, sees he needs a Savior, sees his eyes need to be open. And it might be hard and painful to hear it. I know, uh, you know, conviction's not fun. I mean, I, 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 um, one thing I've noticed teaching through, I'm like, man, Lord, sometimes I just, I get so convicted and then I share it with you guys and I feel bad. It's like, I don't know, from this end, I can see some of your guys' faces. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, but I'm, that's what God, that's what's there. You know, I'm not going to teach something else, it's there. You know, and, and it, it's hard to get convicted, but it's something we should be asking for. God, you have something to say to us? I, I want to hear it. Say it. You know, I love, um, there's a scene in Incredibles, and um, there's a little kid out in front of the Incredibles house on a big wheel. And he's just hanging out, watching the house and riding back and forth, watching the house, right? And, and finally, it's like, what are you doing? He goes, I'm waiting for something amazing to happen. And finally, at the end, oh, something amazing happens, you know? I'm just waiting. I just want to see you. You know, and that's how we should be with the Lord. God, I want to see something amazing. It might be a painful truth. I want to, I want to see something amazing happen, you know? It's interesting, um, things that come up, you know, and, and when a trial comes up or a hardship or a, a conflict, Right? How many people in here like conflict? Like, oh yeah, when there's a problem, it's discussed, people are mad. No, I don't like it, but guess what? If you both are seeking God and there's a conflict, there's, God's trying to do something. There's a conflict because some sharp edge has got to come off and there's going to be some sparks and some heat. If it was all nice and smooth, you know, oh, we just all love each other here all the time. It doesn't work. You know, I mentioned it about marriage. I said, you, you know, you think about when God wants you with somebody else, it's somebody who's jagged the opposite way of you, so you just spark a lot and get all those rough edges off. If you marry somebody who's just like you, do you think you're going to deal with the issues you have? I talk too much. Heidi didn't talk at all. Her family this last time when she's down there is amazed at how bold she is. I've rubbed off on her. She's hopefully rubbed off on me, you know? Those sharp edges, you know? And she's tried to rub off. I love her to death. She's tried. She's so patient with me. I'll talk to somebody and they'll be, you know, passing out. I mean, I, I, don't, I have a hard time getting up here and talking, but one-on-one, I'll kill you. you, you you're, I mean, honestly, you're going to get a bladder infection from waiting to go to the bathroom. It is bad. And I've, I've told her when we were younger, it's like, you got to let me know because I just don't miss. I don't see it. The more nervous I get, the more I talk. So when somebody starts doing this, I get more nervous. I talk. You got to do something. You got to pinch me or something, you know, and we're done one time. I was like, you know, just you know, pinch me on the side or something so I know that, you know, I don't look like an idiot later and regret it. So anyway, she's done. She goes, honey, you talk so much. Why didn't you pinch you? Why didn't you pinch me? You know, she goes, isn't your side sore? I'm like, man, you know. Those sharp edges, you know, and to ask God, God, deal with me. Speak to me. I don't care what it is. I want to see something amazing happen. I'm a sinner. I need to change. Verse 41, it says, and there was, he goes in to tell a story now. He's going to explain, hey, I got something to tell you. Let me tell you this story. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 50,000 or 5,000 denarii or 500 denarii and another 50. So one owed a month's wage or two months' wage and one owed a whole year's worth of wages. Okay? That's kind of the difference here. In 42, it says, And when they had nothing to which repay, he freely forgave both of them. Tell me, therefore, which one will love him more? And Simon answered and said, Well, I suppose the one who he forgave more. 
And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Now, it's interesting to see, so you have two that are dead, and, and debt in this culture, bankruptcy stuff, this debt is bad. I mean, you had to go to a debtor's prison or you were in slavery until you paid that off. If somebody was holding a year's worth of wages, a year of slavery over you, and we're forgiving you, yeah, it's awesome, right? A week's not good, but a year, that, how do you survive that? How does your household, how does anything survive that kind of debt? And yeah, you're, you're going to love more. And so he, he pulls out this illustration to make it clear to, to, to open his eyes lovingly. Right? Here, let me, let me get this. Let, let's, 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 let me help you think about this, of where it's at. Maybe it'll reveal your heart. Maybe by, by me prompting some questions, you'll start to see where you're at, Simon. And, it, and it's interesting because you can think, couldn't have God dealt with us all kinds of other ways? Could have just, you know, started writing in the sand. <laughs> I mean, let's call him out, right? Do you think, you know, he's sitting there and go, aren't you a prophet? Don't you know what kind of woman you have washing your feet? He could have responded, yeah, and I know what kind of man you are sitting across from the table. Let's start naming what happened this week in your life and where you blew it, you, you religious leader here, right? Does he do that? No, lovingly. What an amazing Lord we serve. Lovingly starts to go through. You know, and we've all fallen, we've all sinned and, and fallen short, and it's just amazing. He goes on in verse 44, and then, then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them away with her hair of her head. You gave me no kisses, or no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with a fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sin, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, also the same loves little. Now it's interesting when you see this, Again, in that culture, to not wash his feet would have been very disrespectful. That still said something. He invited him into his house. It makes you kind of question this guy's motive. He wasn't necessarily, oh, maybe we're going to have him in just to see. Maybe they were checking him out. Even Jesus still went. I mean, you kind of, by the, the tone you get for this was, you're in my house, but was more to find fault or to keep him close, maybe. Your enemy's closer. It wasn't that he, this guy was like Matthew. The tax collector, oh, I want to throw a party. I want everybody to meet you. No, I'm going to have you there. Maybe it was, I want to have a big party at my house, and I don't have many friends. I get Jesus. He's an attraction. He'll bring a crowd. I don't like him much, but he'll bring. And so he doesn't even go through what would have been customary, having his feet washed. And they would put a little oil on your head. And as you sat there and eat, trust me, if you're all laying down, you want the guys next to you, his feet washed. And a little oil back in the day, that would help. When you have, you know, not many changes of clothes and running water, you know, you've got to watch, you know, if somebody's got bad bio and you're eating next to them, that can be hard, you know. But he was there eating and he still ate with them. So, you know, next, if somebody doesn't wear, uh, if I don't wear cologne next, um, this coming uh, potluck Thanksgiving deal, don't be mad. I'm just practicing the word here. No. But it's amazing to see and, and to see her response. She sees it. Was she crying because when she saw her Lord there and the way he was treated and her feet wasn't washed? 
And she goes, how can you? Maybe she saw the situation and go, man, you're here just as a, a prize in a show. And it grieved her. You know, many times we, we can see things like that, and that's grievous. When somebody is using our Lord and our Savior wrong, and we think, man, I'm going to defend him. Jesus went there knowing that. He doesn't need you to defend him. He loves the person mistreating him. That's the Lord we love. That's the Lord who's our Savior. That's the Lord who's sitting here, not, not denying one and still loving the other in the midst of it. You know, and it says in verse 47, it says, therefore, you know, and he, he makes it compare, one who has much sin loves much, and one who has little sin is forgiven lives little, you know, less. Well, he forgave everybody's sin totally and completely. This isn't that the Pharisee only had a little sin. He was only willing to trust God, only willing to trust God with a little sin. Take a little responsibility. You know, I mean, maybe justifying that. Well, you know, that will, you know, I acted that way, but they deserved it. You know, compared to fully going and saying, God, I'm, I'm a sinner, I need all of you. I, I have nothing to offer. You know, as you study the word more and more and more, the more and more and more you find out you're just a sinner. You turn it on, you're like, ah, guess what I found out today? I'm a sinner. I thought I was doing good. You know, there's um, one book uh, called Discipling, uh, Discipling the Heart of a Man, I think it is. Oh, man, I started to read that book. It is a good book. It is brutal. And, and, and there's no way you should sit down and read it and you'll be depressed because it, it really just reveals all the sin in your life so quickly and there's no, no time to even change. It's like so heavy, so quick. It's like there's very little grace. The, the thing I love about God in my life is when sin comes or he brings something up, he's faithful to take it. He's faithful to patient, long-suffering, taking time to deal with it, being patient with me. You know, and, and it's interesting because we can run into people or situations and we can go, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, you should come to church and this and that and this and that. Well, you know, I'm a lesbian. Okay, well, yeah, maybe you shouldn't. No. It's like, no, God loves you. Come and he'll deal with that. I don't know if with that lifestyle or where you're at, I know it's, I'm going to teach biblically, it's not biblical, it's wrong and all that, but that might not be the first thing God wants to deal with in that person's life. You know, we kind of all look back in some of the older traditional churches, like, you know, can't have long hair and smoking, you know, and I'm sure a lot of those people who were smoking, that was the least of God's concerns in their life, if at all of the sin that was going to take him out or deal with him. And God's faithful. God knows what's coming. God knows only you as well as he can know you. He's a loving God and he knows those things. And, and the amazing thing with other believers in us, you know, we can take defense of God or we can start to put what we feel, we think God should do in this person's life. You know why? Because that's what God had to do in my life first, you know. Let me tell you about my experience. And I love people's hearts that do that. But sometimes we need to realize, what did actually God do in your life? Was it the actual action, that particular sin, that particular thing? Well, you know, I had to do these three steps to do it. No, the first step was, what did you have to do with sin in your life? I had to admit I was a sinner, and I had to admit that God was going to help me, and I prayed and asked him for my help. I had to seek God. Somebody's struggling with something, right? We don't ever do this, because, you know, especially with kids. You know, nobody ever gives their parents on you know, hey, let me tell you how I raise my kids all right. I mean, people that don't even have kids, they could be, you know, 
felons and everything else will tell you how the, you should raise your kids. You notice that? <laughs> it's like, you know, even people without kids can tell you, you know, it's like, how should you raise kids? You should get in the word of God. You should pray and beg for his help. That's why God gave you kids. So you would seek him more. <laughs> you know, truth of the matter, right? And that's where it comes and we can get involved in, in our opinions and all these things. And, and I just love how God knows this guy and he's bringing it out. And, and this would have been hard to hear. If you're him sitting in this situation, man, you didn't even show me decent courtesy. You didn't even, this, and she's doing it and you're judging her. You know, I, I so much wish we had the rest of the story to this guy. I, when I get to heaven, it's going to be one of those questions. Simon the Pharisee here or not? What, what happened to this guy? You know, where did his heart go? Did he just get totally bitter after that? Or did, even though it was a hard truth, a painful truth, but still truth, still in a loving way. Verse 48, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this, or yeah, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The forgiveness of sins, but also the saving, eternity. Not just a one-time deal. Not your sins were forgiven at this point. She, he didn't go, okay, your sins are forgiven. If you blow it 10 minutes from now, sorry, can't help you. I only cleared it out, catch you at the last moment type thing. No, your sins are forgiven. Your faith, your faith in me, your faith has made, has, has saved you. It wasn't her actions. It wasn't even the lack of future sin in her life that saved her. It was her faith. The Bible says what? We are fa saved through faith, not of works. It's taking our trust from our actions and what we can do and what we can accomplish and how good we are and putting it in God. If we can do that, and you think about that, if we can do that, if we can sit there and we can talk about this in the sense, if we are willing to look at the most religious person and go, that, mo that person who's so religious, so pious and everything else is only saved by faith, not by any of their actions. And we can agree to that. Can't we agree to the other? The man that has done nothing, has been only in sin, has been horrible and is deserving of death and should be put to death for the life he's served and the consequences, is saved by faith. Isn't that awesome? It goes both ways. You've got the younger son, you've got the older son. You have the woman who's a notorious sinner and you have this Pharisee in his house. And, you know, I've thought many times, God, I don't want to be... It is so easy to get wrapped up in... You, when, you know, growing up in the church as a kid, you'd see people get saved and they just have this love for Jesus, this hunger for the Word. And I'd be jealous. It's like, man, I've known you, God. I want to have that love. I want to have that desire. But I get in the way. I think I already know it all. You know, you go to certain scriptures. We're, we're going to take communion today and in one of those areas you know you're reading through and I remember I think it was in high school reading through and I'm looking and going ah parts on communion I know what that's about how many times in my life have I done this as a child you know in the church taking communion and God tapped on my heart read it anyways the order of communion what an amazing thing 
the bread, becoming part, being one with Christ, his body for, for us, given, fellowship with the Lord. And then what? The blood, the forgiveness of sin. And how many times have we wanted to clean our lives up and say, first I've got to get my life in order so I'm acceptable to God. No, God goes, I want to be part of your life in the mess, and then I'll make you clean. So many times we go, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll go to church later, but I just got to deal with some issues in my life. You ain't going to deal with those issues. They ain't ever going to happen. They will dominate you forever. You know what? Let me go from straight being the younger child and a prodigal and in the total world to the legalistic side to get to relate. No, it doesn't happen that way. Just come right to the middle of that situation, right between, right into that relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, it, it's interesting. Neither one of them, you know, we put, we can put these standards on there, you know. The standard of heaven, I've, I've once heard this illustration. Imagine to be saved, you have to jump to Hawaii. So we're all going to go over the San Francisco Pier, and you have to jump to Hawaii without touching the water. Long ways, right? So you got to go over there, you got to touch the water, and so you get this religious guy, and he floats for a quarter mile and falls in. You know, he's spiritual, and you get a, another guy, he's a drunk, he just happened to be watching, falls off into the pier, he didn't even try to jump. He didn't make it either. You have a guy really good in shape, been trying, worked out, and runs, and he jumps, you know, and he, he gets out there a ways. Now tell me, who doesn't have to be saved out of the water? Nobody made it. You're all in the same water. And the comparison isn't Hawaii. It's more like Pluto or something. None of us even got close. Not even worth bragging. If you jumped farther than everybody else, all that means is you've got to do more swim. God's just got to take you farther to get you back out of the water. That's it. You know, you didn't get in any ground. You just made Jesus work more to get you back to safe ground. You know, in a sense. It, it's just, it's amazing how we can and, and put a, a balance on this. It's really sad to see that Simon the Pharisee did not see and could not see himself. Could not see, number one, that who he was and he needed a Savior. Number two, that the Savior was right there. That he could have been the one that loved much. And what an amazing thing as we, we go through this and we sit there and it's like, I'm just thinking this whole week, what is, what is there? What is there that can mess with you? What is there that can steal your joy? What is, what is truthfully anything in our lives as believers that, that can really have any matter? We get to be the sons of God. We, we get to know Jesus intimately. He loves us. He's forgiven us. I mean, can you name one thing in your life you would trade for that? I mean, just, I mean, it's kind of interesting. You know, you, 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 you go through life and some things can just like totally throw you off track and, and steal your joy. And it's like just this week going through this, it's like, man, but you don't understand. Now, yeah, that, yeah, we're going to have to work through that. That's hard. We're going to have to have a talk. And this is, but dude, we got Jesus. You know, and, and, and trying not to, um, you know, when, when you share a situation or something going on, trying not to share that um, and not be unloving. Right? Somebody's going through, oh, this is really hard. And like, dude, it don't matter. You got Jesus. It's like, that can be somewhat harsh, right? <laughs> Didn't you just say, here, I'm struggling with this. It's like, whoa, slow down and think. What an amazing thing as, you th- as we go through this week and we think that our, our Savior is so loving. 
no matter how religious, stubborn you are or how much of a sinner you is, he is right there. He wants to wash your feet and we can freely just walk into that. We can ask him, God, speak to us. Tell me what you want to say. You want to teach me something? Say whatever you want, teacher, teach me. And he's lovingly going to teach us. He's not going to come up and, you know, be abusive or anything else. We can just trust our Lord. What a, what a just awesome thing, you know. And it's interesting when you look at anointing of, of oil in the Bible and referring to the Holy Spirit and, and knowing um, if you get time, uh, a little tight on time, but we've get time, look at, look at the first John chapter 2. Because it talks about anointing and how we are anointed with oil. How we are anointed with the Holy Spirit, how we are anointed in the same anointing in a sense, and, and, and we, are, we know truth. Where, where, where they're talking and, and Peter's like, I don't got to worry about you guys because you have the Holy Spirit. You are safe. You can know truth. It doesn't, you don't need a teacher. Fellowship is good. If you're a believer in here, you have everything you need. There's nowhere, if somebody picked you up and put you in the middle of a foreign country with a, not a single believer, you still guys have everything you need to have that awesome relationship with Jesus Christ. You have that truth. You have the Holy Spirit. And if anything, it might be their mistake for putting you in the midst of a whole bunch of unbelievers. Right? When we can walk around, oh, we're defeated. The world's doing this. They're beating my Jesus up. They're mistreating him. No, they're not. No, they're not. God's faithful to convict. God did not hold back on Simon. Why? Because he loves him. You know why people don't like you when you go and you share light? Because God isn't holding back. He's convicting them. He might be using you or just the fact you're smiling there. You know what I mean? And we get to be what? We get to be the people there smiling, enjoying ourselves, just hanging out. You know, how many times have you, I wonder, how many times you've just been so focused on God and, and worshiping Him and just hanging out with Him, you have no clue what's going on around you, and people around you are getting convicted because they just see you. It's like, right, you've got my headphones on, I'm listening to worship songs right in the Starbucks line, Everybody's sitting there mad because their coffee's not ready or whatever, and then they're just, you know, somebody's probably getting convicted, going, what's that guy's problem? Oh, look, earbud filed. He's listening to Christian music, you know, or whatever, you know. Get a kick, you know, you sit there and you, you look at the world. So let's um, close in prayer, and if the worship team would come up, we're going to take communion. Dear God, we just thank you for You, Father, how much you love us, how much you love sinners like us, how much you're willing just to serve us, Father, and, and that we cannot just know you, know of you, but we can know you, we can know your heart, that you desire us to know your heart, and that your heart is so much for us, that we can never comprehend how much you love and care for us. God, help us just to stay out of your way and let you love us. Be willing for you to let us be changed by you. Guide us, Father. Speak to us. Have our hearts where we're just sitting around waiting for something amazing to happen because you are an amazing God and you desire to do amazing things. In Jesus' name, amen.